Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here today. We'll get get, uh, our Bibles open and begin to look at our study again today. Thank you for for being here. Well, we're going to enter a new topic today in the book of Proverbs on wealth. That was one of the top votes of your selections for topical studies in Proverbs. And I have to tell you, that's, this topical study is a whole lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I, mean, I thought, well, I just get those verses and put together a lesson and, you know, there's nothing to it. But there's over 50, 50 to 70 ver- uh, references to wealth in the book of Proverbs. So how do you get on top of that? I don't, well, I've, I've got on top of it a little bit today and <clears throat> we'll look at that. And then next week will be our last week for a little while because uh, Russ will begin a eight or nine week study in Jude. Nine weeks. I expect you all to be here the first week and then you'll like be like, oh, that was enough of that. Have an eight week vacation for you all. No. <laughs> well, that sounds like a long time in a little book, but there's plenty in that book, isn't there, for us to study. So we look forward to that, <clears throat> to that study. <clears throat> Everybody have a handout that wants one. There's pie. Okay, let's pray and then we'll we'll begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for for the wonder and blessing of being here together today and that we hold these Bibles in our hands or in our uh, in our instruments or however we have your word. We thank you for it so much and now we bow before you and your word and we pray that you would minister to us by your spirit uh, in your word that we may have your wisdom that we may walk in your ways that we may know you uh, through our study today and that we may see our lord jesus in a clearer way and rejoice in him i thank you for each person that's come today and you know the burdens and cares and concerns that they have and i pray you give them your uh, direction your peace and rest today and, and for me too as we study and together around your work together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I noticed in, in uh, looking at all these verses on, on wealth is how many times the eyes were mentioned. And I did a little count and the eye or eyes are mentioned uh, oh, well over 40 times in the book of Proverbs and interestingly a good number of times in association with wealth and how we how we look at wealth. So as I was thinking about that, my mind went to uh, what Jesus said about the eye. And so I want to go there first. We're not doing a New Testament study, but I want to just look at how the Lord Jesus helps us with this understanding. And I think you'll maybe be amazed. I was amazed at how, I mean, we shouldn't be. This is an understatement, isn't it? How what Jesus says is exactly replicated in the in in the book of Proverbs. It's just wonderful to see how those uh, how the truths that He helps us to understand uh, He frames them in such a wonderful way. Um, when we go back to the book of Proverbs, we won't have to unpack that a lot because we'll just see uh, the wisdom of Christ in the book of Proverbs and how our how our vision, how our look, uh, impacts our perspective on wealth. 
So let's go to Matthew uh, 20. Matthew 21 through 16 is this really uh, interesting parable that Jesus told uh, right before the triumphal entry. And it's about this uh, this master, and he needed workers for his vineyard, so he goes kind of to the day laborer spot there in town, and he hires people early in the morning, and he goes back uh, every few hours and gets another group, until finally the last group he gets uh, just works for an hour, and he agrees to pay them a denarius uh, per day, which was about a day's wage for a, for a laborer. And so then it comes time for the, for the payoff, and so... Um, on verse 8, Matthew 20, verse 8, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those, who, and when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you. So interestingly, here's, I'm giving this to you. This is, I mean, you've earned this. This is your property. This belongs to you. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you, and ESV says, or do you begrudge my generosity so the last will be first and the first will be last? Well, I gave you some blanks there because I just want you to read the text and discover what it says. So let's just fill in fill in the blanks. I, I may not have said it in a way you can see the answers real clearly, but just looking at this story, uh, what's one of the truths in this story? God owns everything. God owns everything, right? And uh, can you figure out the next one? God has a right to choose right? how he uses his wealth, distributes his wealth, whatever way you want to say it. <clears throat> those seem to be, I mean, there's other truths. We're going to talk about those just for a few moments. <clears throat> but those seem to be the, the three basic things. Maybe you see some other truth here in this parable you'd like to like to mention. What else, Elaine, what do you see? Uh, certainly no biblical scholar but to me the last the last part of that didn't seem to say what didn't seem like a summary of what was being demonstrated or an example of it so I went to another note that it said anyway um, the length of one's earthly toil may not correspond to the amount of one's heavenly reward since the kingdom's principle of recompense recompense is not based on worldly concepts about rights but on divine mercy okay well that's good that's really good because we're going to see that in proverbs in a few minutes so <clears throat> good well let's look at verse uh, 15 because the 
the ESV translation doesn't translate the words uh, completely or, or uh, fully. So verse 15, uh, the master says to, the, to, the dis, to one of the disgruntled men that had worked all day, uh, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? Now, if you have ESV, you can see the note, and it says, uh, is your eye bad because I am good? So there's a play on the word. Is your eye bad because I am good? Does anybody else have another version besides ESV that may do something better with, with that? Mine says, are you envious because I am generous? Okay. Are you envious because I am generous? That's good. But it's literally I. It's really a bad eye. You've got a bad eye. And um, so what he's saying is the way you're looking at what has happened uh, is really uh, exposing your soul, exposing you know, your heart because of, well, how is this man's bad eye revealed? How, why do we know his eye is bad? Why, how do we know he's looking at this the wrong way? Well, he's not happy for his fellow workers okay. anymore. He's just unhappy that he didn't get more. <laughs> he's getting what he was agreed to in the yes. Uh, yes. So he's he and so what do we call what's that sin? Um, entitlement. Entitlement. Okay. But looking at others and looking at what they get and not being happy with it, what do we call that? Envy or coveting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, that's a very subtle sin in my life. Uh, either, either to not, either to not uh, um, celebrate something good that happens in somebody's life, or have some little sense of. Well, I don't even, I, I don't even want to confess my sins before you so much, but even some little sense of pleasure that something maybe didn't go right for some. Let's not do that anymore. I don't. That, that's, <laughs> But, you know, the Apostle Paul seemed to struggle with covetousness. Remember what he said in Romans 7, when he's talking about the purpose of the law, the law reveals our sin. He said, I would have never known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So maybe he's being a little vulnerable there and saying he had a struggle with uh, with covetousness too. Um, so it's not only, and so the, the sin of coveting not only is a, can be a sin against our fellow person or a brother and sister in Christ but it's always a sin against who? It's always a sin against God. He grumbled against God because of course in this case the, the leader is the one who's responsible for how he wanted to distribute his wealth and this guy didn't like that. So, But the point I wanted you to see is the eye. Jesus connects the eye here and the way he looks at the situation reveals his heart. So now let's go back to Matthew 6 and uh, we'll see it even more clearly in, in some ways so Matthew 6 of course this is the Sermon on the Mount and uh, let's look at verse 19 we're going to look at Matthew 6 19 through 24 but I want you to notice something here as the text flows along of course and we're not going to look at the detail of it but Matthew 6, 19 and to 21 uh, this is about laying up treasure on earth or in, or in heaven 
because where your treasure is there will your heart be also. Uh, and then Jesus has this lesson on uh, the eye. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But then verses 24, or just verse 24, then his, uh, his statement about no one can serve two masters. So the point I want you to notice is that uh, you could read 19, 20, and 21 about not laying up treasure on earth but in heaven and then skip the next two verses and then pick it up with verse 24. Well, let me just let me just do that, okay? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. We're in Matthew uh, 6. Uh, Joshua. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now go to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. My point is, I think what I'm trying to say is, you can leave out the lesson, the statement about the eye, and the, the text would flow really good. So my question is, why did Jesus give us this lesson about the eye? Let's read it first. It's only two, two verses. And then we'll, we'll try to figure that out. So verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy or good, if your eye is healthy or good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Everybody, anybody need a... Need a handout? Do I have handouts? Okay, we're in Matthew chapter six on our way back to Proverbs. So, so there's my question to you. One. What do you think was Jesus' purpose in this lesson about the eye that he enters? That he put between these these two these two lessons about wealth and and uh, masters. You can read that. You can read it again if you want to, and think about what is it about this. What is he trying to add to the lesson here by talking about the eye? The Lord knows. Okay. What you have your eye on is like what you set your goals on. So if your goals and your eyes are looking towards worldly things versus heavenly things. Okay. He's making a connection between your life goals versus, um, versus your heavenly goals. Okay. So what you have your eyes on in this life is what you say that again? Uh, it's what you treasure. Uh, what you set your goals on, I think it's just an analogy. What you put your eyes on, you know, what you are setting your goals towards. So you're you're storing up your treasures here instead of in heaven. Okay. And um, so Joshua says that this is a help us see physically what we set our eyes on helps us to see uh, where our where our heart is. Is that would that be yeah. putting words in your mouth? Yeah, no, no, that's not it. <laughs> that's what I see here because <clears throat> we don't. I don't know about you. Yeah, dude, you're like me. You don't always know what's going on in your heart. I don't. 
So baby's given us this eye, this perspective, as Docs was saying, with the eyes, that our eyes are, are a window to what? Our eyes are a window to our soul or to our heart. And so when we can begin to see why we or what we're looking at, what we're setting our affection on, maybe that will help us understand what's going on in our heart. Because as we've seen in Proverbs and other places, um, out of the heart comes all the issues of life. Remember uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So I don't know, you know if that's what he was up to there, but, uh, but what he says here about the eye uh, goes along with what, he's, what the parable taught us and what we're going to see over in, in, um, uh, in Proverbs. So a healthy eye reflects a single-purposed heart. The, that word healthy or good could be translated single or simple. I mean, it's not double-minded. It's not trying to look two ways. It's, it's single. It's, it's simple in its, in its perspective. So that's a good, uh, that's a good, a good eye. So if that's the case, then what is a bad eye? Well, maybe it's the opposite. I, it's just the word bad. It's not, uh, there's nothing fancy about the word. Uh, but it kind of reminds us a little bit of James chapter 1, that we can ask for wisdom, but be sure you're not double-minded, you know, trying to look two ways. And so you can see, this is exactly, so we got the, the treasure on earth, treasure in heaven. you got to choose one. It's impossible to choose two masters. You must choose one master. So the eye helps us to understand what we're looking at, where our heart is uh, in this in this issue. Interestingly, as we go as we head toward Proverbs now, the parallel passage in Luke 12, it's pretty much the same the same lesson. The parallel passage. Uh, has an emphasis on storing up treasure in heaven and Jesus says in Luke specifically by generosity to the needy. So we're going to see that uh, as we go back to Proverbs. Is there anything else about what we've learned um, about Jesus and wealth and understanding? Okay, so let's go now to uh, Proverbs. And we can begin in uh, Proverbs 10, 10.22, I just want us to get this basic truth uh, before us. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. So you look at that. I didn't give you a lot of notes to think about what that means. Uh, what, what are the truths we can gain from that? Verse uh, 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, he adds no sorrow with it. Or 
You may have another verse, another verse though. Paul, what is your 1022 say? It just says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for him. Without painful toil, okay. Okay, so what's the what's the point we can gain from this passage? Well, the thing I'm trying to say here is that um, all wealth comes from the Lord. And the reason all wealth comes from the Lord is because, as we've already seen, He owns all things. What uh, Proverbs 24.1 The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof that it contains the world and those who dwell in it. He owns everything. Um, so if He owns everything, then what is our relationship to wealth? Who said that? We're stewards. Stewards? We're stewards. Okay. Right. Well, give us the technical definition of a steward. Uh, and if you don't uh, own it, you're being charged to, to manage it, to use it wisely, to honor the person who gave you that authority. Okay, good. And it goes with our uh, understanding that we're slaves to Christ in order for you about His purposes and using our resources for His, his uh, goals. Okay, so a steward is one who doesn't own but manages someone else's property. In this case, the property that Christ owns, we, we are to use it for His glory and for His pleasure. So what do you think it means He adds no sorrow with it or He adds... He adds no uh, toilsome labor. I thought part of the curse was that there is toilsome labor in our in our work. So what's uh, Solomon saying here? You think? Well, I've got a footnote that says, "and and toil adds nothing to it." Okay. So you can't work. Is that saying that we can't? Even if you work more, you you're not going to add to it. Well, I don't know, Elaine, you're reading this footnote. Well, I, 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 I mean, that's supposed to be an expedient. When it's a footnote, that's an all. Alternative, right? Yeah, that's it right. says, or add toil, uh, and toil adds nothing to it. <coughs> so, ooh, I don't know. Okay, I, no, that's, no, that's good. I, I have the same footnote. I just didn't want to read it because I didn't know what it meant. But <laughs> No, I, I've tried to study this some. So, so we know that there's toil involved. And, uh, but the, the point that I think we want to see here is that, that the ultimate source of all material wealth comes from God because He owns it all. There's no other place it can come from. But He, but he does use means. Look at, uh, look at verse 4. I've written them there for you, and it's kind of amazing that verse uh, 1022 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich. 10.4 says, the hand of the diligent makes rich. So, is that one of these contradictions that our liberal friends say all over the Bible? I went back to the Amplified Version Okay. see what it said. And it says, and he adds no sorrow to it, for it comes as a blessing from God. Okay, I think that's good. Um, so, the, we won't be able to look at it in detail, but in the book of Proverbs, if people gain wealth in a uh, even in the evil or wicked way, they bring all kinds of sorrow with it. It's not just the labor of you know being tired and, and those kinds of things that come as part of the part of the curse. But um, but there but when we when we receive the 
the wealth that God gives to us as His blessing, realizing it's it's a by His grace. Uh, we don't deserve it. We may gain it through through diligent labor. Uh, but when we realize that, we have the fear of God, understanding where wealth comes from. And we don't have the anxiety, the, the uh, turmoil, the envy, all those things that come that come with it. The, the verse that continues to be uh, packaged with this is Psalm 127. So look at Psalm 127. And it is interesting. I think there's only one or two Psalms that Solomon wrote. And this is, this may be the only one Solomon wrote. I don't know, Psalm 127. Yeah, Psalm 127. Mm-hmm. And I think this comes, this helps us understand the, the footnote that Elaine wrote, I mean, read, and toilsome labor does not add anything to it. So, Psalm 127. Uh, so, here's the human divine dimension <coughs> together. Psalm 127 Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. So we can work all day, but if God doesn't bless us, then we won't get what we want. We will not have wealth. I think that's that's the point. That that the the major mover in this process is God's blessing. God blesses us with uh, with wealth. But, but at the same time, it, it, isn't it in the psalm several times where people are? Why do the rich be? It's in this life, or it may not be in this life, where the the wealthy, by evil gains or whatever, may not see the sorrow associated with that until. Yeah, I think so. Not yeah. in this life, right? I think so. Yeah, but I think many do, and you just don't know it. I know some wealthy people that are just miserable in their lives their marriages and their own anxiety and everything because they didn't receive the wealth as a blessing from God but they received it as their dessert and maybe they didn't maybe they were even the way they they uh, they went about it so verse 2 Psalm 127 verse 2 it is in vain that you rise up early and go and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep or even I think one Translation can say he, he gives to his beloved in their sleep, so he continues to give to us even when we're not, even when we're not working. So I, I think the point is uh, is that the, that we need to recognize that all wealth comes from God. It is His grace. It's His goodness. He owns all of it, and we dare not grumble against Him because we don't have as much or something like that. Uh, but the primary means by which He by which we gain wealth is through diligent labor. But what is the purpose of our work? Why do we work? To glorify God. Okay, how does that glorify God, uh, Cheryl? Well, everything we do uh, is to be for the glory of God, so um, we work as if for God and not for man. We're, we're not trying to oppress people. We're trying to please God, so right. we, try to, we do it in a manner that would please Him. Right. So our primary motive in working should be to glorify God. Uh, and work was established before the fall, right? It's God's plan for us to work through means He doesn't just, He can just bless us all without working, right? But that's not His plan. His plan is to work through us, use us to accomplish His purposes and help one another out. 
if you have more wealth, help a person who doesn't have it, because things might be flipped down the road, and you might want to use someone else to bless you later. So wealth is a creation mandate. It's not part of the curse. I mean, excuse me, labor is part of the is, is the is a creation mandate. So we do it because we're commanded to it because it's we're in the image of God. You created us to be producers, and um, Adam was given the task of work before he was given a wife, which sets the mandate for the man. In my from my studies of scripture too is that he's supposed to be the provider of that wife and she's to come alongside and be that helpmate, but he needs to be producing this as his giftedness and skills as he has been given from God. Okay, so the man has a particular mandate, but both men and women have, have this mandate to work and to till the garden, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, now, so, but look at uh, Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. <clears throat> so, Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Um, do not toil to acquire wealth. Now we just read that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> uh, but the context will help us see that, that Solomon is saying something. Uh, he's qualifying that. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. That's kind of a strange statement. Uh, somebody's version has something different. 23, 4. Because of our understanding cease. Do not, I've said the whole thing is do not ever work to be rich because of your own understanding cease. Let your own understanding cease? Or? Because of your own understanding. Okay, all right. I think he's saying you should know better. Mine says be wise enough to restrain yourself. Okay. So I think we can, in the context, we can add a word. Do not toil only for the purpose of acquiring wealth. That, our, our goal... We have to be careful how we say this, but our but our goal in working should not our primary purpose for working should not be to acquire wealth. Our primary purpose in working is what we've been hearing to glorify God because it's a creation mandate. God can command us to work, and it's right for us to work. Because what we see in this in in this uh, in these two verses is Solomon is warning. If you're working only to acquire wealth, then that means that you're that you're uh, that you're dependent upon it in the ultimate sense. And so the next verse says that's a disaster. So look at verse uh, verse five. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. And I understand that the Hebrew says it's it's an abrupt. Uh, and, and let's see, there's a play on words there. Uh, it, it literally says, when your eyes fly to it, because you're going to see this play on words here in a minute, when your eyes fly to focus on the wealth, and then it immediately says, gone. It's just kind of like one word almost. It just, when, you, when your eyes fly to wealth as your primary focus in life, it's gone. Now, it may not immediately disappear, but 
That's the, that's the brevity of wealth as far as it's for security. It's only security in their vain imagination. So look, and, so now he uses the, uh, when your eyes light on it, or when your eyes fly to it, it's gone because suddenly it sprouts wings. So this is interesting word pictures, and you can see a dollar bill with wings or something. Uh, it sprouts wings, and it flies like an eagle toward the heaven. So notice the play on words. When your eyes fly to wealth, it's going to fly away. You can't, you can't grasp it. You can't get it. And, and I think what he could say is, all you see is the tail feathers of an eagle flying off into the horizon. That's all you want to see. So that's the point there. Um, the yes, God, well, to get our three points here, all wealth comes from a blessing from the Lord is the way we should see it. It's primarily he uses diligent labor to transfer that wealth to us. Uh, but that's but wealth, but labor, I mean, the acquiring of wealth is not to be the primary purpose for our working. We should not get up in the morning and think, well, I'm going to work, I need more money so I can be more secure. We go to work because uh, it's our mandate, we have responsibilities to do that. Okay, let's keep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Russ. Okay, so. My view, like, I think it's a biblical view. Like, I want to make as much money as I can. It's not that I worship that money or that that's, like, I'm not greedy. But if I'm working heartily unto the Lord and the Lord's given me my giftedness, then I want to find the most full potential in that and I want to do the best, excellent job I can. And usually in business, if you do that, you're going to gain money, not always. But the principle is there, sowing and reaping. And so when we're working, it's not like some people have used these verses to say, well, it's, it's wrong for you to have money or, you know, the, the fact is there's God gives us those riches so that we can use those to bless others. And if we receive those with open hands, ready for that money to fly away, to use that term, fly away to bless others, then I'm not sure. I think scripture teaches that side of it too. And, and it's hard because you have to keep that balance of even looking in your own heart, am I being greedy or am I trying to work? for God's glory and in that he blesses me so it's not wrong to have those riches but it's wrong to hoard those and worship those riches if that makes sense yeah I, I think so Russ I think of course I would say God has gifted you greatly in being a successful businessman and it's because of the skills and abilities that you use and so um, so it's not wrong for you to be blessed with uh, with wealth because he used it responsibly. Um, but God doesn't bless everybody with the same kind of skills and abilities that, that you have. Um, so I think maybe... Well, I'm the, not rich, but I'm just like... <laughs> well, but I think as your motivation, you know that as you, uh, as a businessman, you want to gain wealth and you're going to use it responsibly. Um, I don't know if every, every man or woman that goes to work in the morning has that same that same drive and motivation that you do. We're glad that you do, and God gives that to some people. But uh, others, I think, have to be careful that they don't 
over toil and over strain themselves and they and their family pays a price for them you know thinking i need more wealth so i'm going to you know work 12 hour days eight or seven days a week or something like that so there's a balance there so i think as long as our heart is right you know we're fine to receive the wealth that god gives to us but it should be i think it as this verse here i think teaches us it should be a byproduct of our obedience labor exactly. if God chooses to give it to us then good we don't lay awake at night thinking I gotta have more and more and more and figure out you know, another way to do it. Right. Okay, good. Alright, let's look at <clears throat> let's look now at something that really I guess I've always known this but it really got my attention um, as looking at particularly giving to the poor and the Lord's solidarity and his, uh, his identity with the poor is just really amazing. We're going to see a couple of providential hidden processes that take place that you can't even see happening, but we know that they do. So Proverbs 22, 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. Now, uh, Elaine, you got a footnote to... <laughs> so, mine says, He who is generous will be blessed. Okay. But it literally is a good eye. Whoever has a good eye will be blessed. One who is willingly disposed to the needy. Say that again. One who is willingly disposed to the needy. Okay. Our own well-being is bound up with that of others, so that we do for their good benefit us as well. And Dan, uh -huh. I also think it means people who are actively looking for some way they can help other people. It's not just a happen to notice. I think you, it's an intentional. How can I be a blessing to other people? Okay. So it's a outwardly rather than inwardly. Okay. Yeah. So, but the point I just want us to make real quick, whoever has a bountiful eye, a generous eye, the word is literally good. And the word good is used like 600 and something times in the Old Testament. And the context helps us to see what that word good uh, means. And as you're saying there, in this case, um, good means that he shares his bread with the poor, that he has a he, he's, he gives to those that are in need. But notice there's a, here, here we begin to see this invisible providence. It says, uh, verse 9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. But what's the hidden mover in that statement? He shares. He shares, but how are they blessed? How does that happen? Hmm. Yeah, so the point is, God's invisible hand is going to make sure this happens. It's, it kind of reminds me of uh, the book of Esther. You know, how many times is the name of God mentioned in the book of Esther? Zero times. But you see his hand everywhere in the book of Esther, his providence accomplishing his purposes. And that's what we're going to see. That's what we see here, I think. That's what we're going to see in these other, uh, these other passages. By the way, I, I didn't spend a lot of, I didn't spend hardly any time talking about the other kind of the eye. So I just want to show you, I mean, the other eye, which would be the evil eye, the bad eye. Um, just want to look at a couple of them that are close by, like Proverbs 23. 
23.6. I just wanted you to see that, that Solomon um, talks about two kinds of eyes, a good eye and then 23.6, do not eat the bread of a man. And ESV says stingy. Any other version? What kind? Begrudging. Begrudging, okay. Miserly, okay. All right. But it's just an evil eye. It's, and it, it's considered evil because he's, because uh, he doesn't give his wealth away to the, uh, to the poor. Um, look at 28, 22. So 28, 22, a stingy man or an evil eye uh, hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. But the point is what we've been seeing. He sets his heart on acquiring wealth as a, as a purpose for his life. Okay, so now let's look at um, Proverbs 19, 19, 17. Proverbs 19.17. What an interesting verse. I just think it's amazing. Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Is that not a strange thought? Whoever is generous to the poor in, in a sense is lending to the Lord. What is that? What do you think Solomon's trying to say there? Say that. I said you might be doing it for a person, but you're doing it for God. Okay. Okay. So that kind of reminds us of like uh, the Matthew 25 judgment. You did it to one of the least of these. You did it to to me. Okay. That's good part. So. But God's not in debt to anybody, is He? Well, He is to this guy. What, what's going on here? God's going to fulfill His promise to uphold His half of a covenant. So, like, because we lend to Him, He will obviously return it because He's holding up His half of the promise. Okay, so He's showing His faithfulness yeah. to the covenant, all right? Uh, but, but notice what I think is really just so beautiful here he so identifies with the poor person that he will personally take up his debt and and pay his debt for him I think that's just beautiful whoever lends to the Lord I mean whoever is generous to the poor is like and, and so it's, instead of uh, making the poor man feel like he's in debt God says, I'm going to cover this for him so he doesn't have to. In fact, there's another verse I didn't look, I didn't point it out. The, the, uh, the, lend, the borrower is the slave to the lender. And so in some ways, God is saying, I'm not going to let a poor man. I'm so identified with this poor man that I'm going to take his debt on myself and I'm going to cover that for him. He will repay him for his deed. Well, so if you give $5 to a fellow at the stoplight, 
does that mean God's going to send you a check or through the cash app, you know, you're going to get five dollars? Well, what does it mean? He's got to repay him. Bless you. Hmm? You will bless you. We may, you may not, we may not know exactly. You may not be able to put the math to it, but he's going to make sure. I mean, look at this, folks. This is a promise from the Lord God. Said, if you're generous with the poor, I'm going to, I'm going to reward you for that in some way. He may not be able to connect the dots, but he's going to, he's going to do that. Sometimes it does work like that. I mean, So he, like somebody said, he moves behind the scenes, but sometimes he comes out from the scenes and shows us, you know, that his hand is there. That's good. Okay. Uh, let's see. I quoted uh, Walkie here. The Lord's honor is tied up with the poor. They are made in His image. They're just and grace, gracious Creator takes it upon Himself to assume their indebtedness and repay their lender. And it may be in many of varied ways. We may not know how he would, how he would do that. <clears throat> okay, now Ver, uh, Proverbs 14, 31. <clears throat> so just again, just want you to see this connection between God and the poor person. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Insults other versions there? Reproaches. Repro reproaches. Okay. This is really serious. A statement made if if a uh, if we oppress a poor man, we reproach, we blaspheme. Can really be one of the words there that can be used by his maker. But he is generous to the needy. Honors honors him. I think just to see that God's honor is directly intertwined uh, with the well-being of the poor. And if, we, if we're unkind to the poor, then we dishonor him. And, but when we are kind and generous to the poor, then that's a way of honoring him because he's so intertwined with the, uh, with the well-being of the poor. Okay, now uh, we could spend a lot of time well, on Proverbs 28, 28. Um, whoever multiplies or increases his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. And of course, this is a this is uh, this harkens back to the to the Pentateuch and the laws about charging interest uh, on your Hebrew brother. You could, they could charge interest for Gentiles, for foreigners, but they couldn't charge interest for the uh, uh, if they loan money. To their, uh, to their fellow Hebrews. And that was so that they wouldn't keep getting deeper and deeper into a hole. So you could, uh, you could give money and maybe you could loan, but you couldn't, you could never charge interest. We could look at some of those verses. There's one that 
one in Deuteronomy 15 talks about on the uh, has reference to the um, the year of jubilee. You know, where all the all of the uh, property goes back to its owner if it's been if it's been uh, bought or confiscated. And Moses says, now if your if your brother gets in trouble and needs to needs to sell his land to you. Don't have an, I think he even says something like this, don't have an evil heart or an evil eye realizing, oh, well, the, uh, the year of Jubilee is six years away. I don't want to wait that long to get my property back. He said, no, you, you provide for your poor brother in whatever way it needs to be provided. Well, uh, we're not going to get to our conclusions, but let's look at just that last, last verse that I have there. In... Uh, Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. This kind of sums it up, I think. One gives freely. You know, I think I'm supposed to quit. So we better, we better stop for now. We'll pick this up. I really wanted to get to our applications, but we'll, we'll do some more on wealth uh, uh, next time.